All right, the title of this class, yes, I've figured it out now, is Preview and Preparation and the Coming Crisis. And we're going to, today, we're going to look at an overview of the coming crisis, the things of what to expect. What this class is not, this class is not going to spend most of its time talking about last day events. But we are going to talk about last day events, and especially today. You can't talk about the coming crisis without talking about current events, right? And so today in our overview, we're especially going to be looking at that. But you and I may know the events and not know the one who's coming, and it doesn't matter, except that you'll just know and your heart will be filled with fear, because events only will trigger fear in our hearts unless we have a relationship with Jesus who casts all fear out. And so our class is going to be talking especially about the work of preparation for the return of Jesus. We have a book, I have a book that I um, got in my library many, many years ago. And to tell you the truth, it suddenly vanished when I really wanted it. And so I, I was so grateful when the book showed back up. It hadn't been published for a while, but it's called Preparation for the Final Crisis by Fernando Chai. And we told the ABC about it, and the book is available at the ABC, and it's kind of going to be our textbook for this, for this class. But I'm not limited to that textbook. I hope that's okay. And the things that we will share today, and the two sources for our presentation today uh, in terms of primary sources, first of all, Ellen White and the Bible, okay, that's a critical source. Um, a source for some of the final events that I'm going to be sharing today come from a presentation uh, by uh, Elder Art Ed Reed and uh, some great materials that I was able to glean from him and then also from Fernando Chai's book. And just to give you a little bit of reference, so if you want to go back and, and get some of those materials and maybe fill in the gaps that we don't have time to uh, get into today, I just want you to know what those, those sources are. I'd like to begin by talking a little bit about some of the current events that are going on. What's happening in the world? Well, you all have cell phones, and you have iPads, and you have computers, and if you're shaking your head, God bless you. <laughs> I, I am so, I'm so tied to these things and wish I could get untied. In my work, unfortunately, I need them, and they're helpful to me, but there are times when I say, really? Anyway, that's, that's a current event, by the way, these things. <laughs> I, I, believe, I believe it is. But it's a valuable tool that helps us. But wherever you get your news from, if you are listening to the news, you are so the current events I want to share with you I want to do it in this context this is a statement from Ellen White and uh, Acts of the Apostles page 260.1 now I'm just curious I know this is small print and is a large one can any of you in the back read it okay alright good it's Acts of the Apostles page 260 and this is what she says in the underlined portion there are in the world today many who close their eyes to the evidences that Christ has given to warn men of his coming. 
They seek to quiet all apprehension, while at the same time the signs of the end are rapidly fulfilling. And the world is hastening to the time when the Son of Man shall be revealed in the clouds of heaven. I hope you're studying your Sabbath school lessons. These lessons from First and Second Peter have been absolutely outstanding. And there is so much that applies to what we're talking about today in First and Second Peter. Peter makes it clear that people are ignoring what's going on around us, saying that there's a delay, and Jesus, you know, this isn't really going to happen. And this is the kind of thing that we've been dealing with for a long time in our lives as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. But the things are beginning to kick in at such a rapid pace today. I have a friend of mine who told me that he was putting some things on a blog of last day events, and he said, I was, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to have a hard time finding stuff, so I'll put something up there once a month and be able to do that. And he found he can't keep up with it. He can't, he, every, every, almost every day something is showing up there. Ellen White continues in the statement, she says, Paul teaches that it is sinful to be indifferent to the signs which are to precede the second coming of Christ. Those guilty of this neglect when he calls children of the night and of darkness, um, out of the, of the night and of darkness, he encourages the vigilant and watchful with these words, Be ye then, brethren, not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are in the, uh, the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So if someone says, well, you're just watching last day events and all that, and that's bad. Now, she says we need to be observant. We need to know what's going on around us. It shouldn't control us, and it shouldn't be all we do. Our relationship is not with events, it's with Jesus. He's our Savior, not the events. Not knowing when something is going to happen is not going to, cast, is not going to cost you salvation. Not knowing Jesus will. So this class, again, is focusing not just on the events, but on the preparation for what's coming. Jesus is preparing us now. When we scheduled the, this class, and, uh, and I am in charge of seminars, and along with Shelley Ringstaff, my secretary, she does all the work, I get the responsibility. But she does a great job, and we really appreciate, I really appreciate what she does. And as I got to looking at the schedule, the way it was laying out, I asked myself, I sure don't want my class to be conflicting, conflicting with another class that's going on as well during this series. And that class is the one that's being taught by Ron Duffield. If you don't go to that class, I hope you will go to that class. That class, I've been reading his material, and I'm so thankful he agreed to come because we all need to understand what is God's work for us today in these last days. So Ellen White is trying to help us understand what the issues are. So I put this in here. I want you to be aware that this presentation by Ed Reed is on YouTube. He has books out. You can get it any form you want where it lists some of those things. Uh, the material that I found most recently doesn't have some of the latest events that are going on that are absolutely dramatic and critical. 
but nonetheless, they're there and it is helpful to you. Let's talk about some of the signs. I know that you weren't around in 1755, so that's not a current event, but let's put it in our context. Let's get an understanding that we are living in the last days. The reason these events are critical to us is because those were the events that began to set the stage for the last days of Earth's history. These dates are leading up to 1844 when God's people in the Millerite movement and what followed afterwards began to see what God was doing and what was happening in the world, they began to realize that they were indeed living in the times that the Bible said would be here and that they were then experiencing they were living in the last days. This is, in my mind, the beginning of those last day events that really set the context for us. I'm not going to spend any time about those. Most of you know about those. You studied about them when you became a Seventh-day Adventist, and you studied about them when you go through an evangelistic series, and you connect with those. But let's get a little bit more current and come up to our time and be reminded of what God told us in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, you remember the context, he was on the, um, uh, he was in an, an environment where they could see the city of Jerusalem. They could see what, uh, that beautiful temple that was built there. And Jesus told him that the temple was going to be destroyed and raised up in three days. They're trying to do the math on all of that. They're looking over there and they're trying to understand that, but only one event made any sense to them about the temple being destroyed, and that was the, was the re, uh, end of the world and the return of Christ. And so Jesus put it all in the context of the last day events, and that's in Matthew chapter 24. And one of the things he spoke of there are the false prophets. All around us are false prophets today in all kinds of different guises and forms. They've come, they've gone, some remain. Dr. Luis, uh, Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda claims that he is Jesus Christ. And, and he, the thing that amazes me about these individuals is they have amazing followings of people. It's not just a few hands-on people like Jim Jones who had, well, he had 800 some odd people that died under him. But there are others who've had just almost handfuls, smaller groups than you've got in this room. But not Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Then there's Harold Camping. He's not even alive anymore. But he had an opportunity for getting everybody's attention. And he said that on May 21, 2011, and if I remember correctly, he had several dates that he, he said. He said the Bible guarantees that Jesus was coming then. And what does the devil do with that? They say the Bible guarantees this. It doesn't happen. And people say, therefore, what can you trust with the Bible? Your Bible can't guarantee you anything. You don't know anything by going to the Bible. And the devil uses that to discourage people from understanding what's really going on in the world today. I could spend more time talking about false prophets. You can look that up again. This is not a seminar on final events. This is a seminar on the context of final events in terms of our need for preparing for the final crisis. 
But I want to share a few more events with you that are indeed dramatic and worthy of us taking careful note. One of the most critical ones is the growing influence of the Roman Catholic Church in America and in the world, by the way, not just America. I know I'm being recorded and I don't want to be offensive to anyone, but the Bible is very clear and the Protestant world has known this for 500 years that this is what was going to be happening and that the Protestant uh, world knew about this and taught it and preached about it. As a matter of fact, the United States was formed on that Protestant foundation that, uh, that established this nation. And so the kinds of things that, that I'm speaking here, I'm not, you know, Catholics are wonderful people. I've got, I've got and had wonderful neighbors that are Roman Catholic. I'm not talking about individual people. I'm talking about a system of belief that the Bible actually speaks of. And the Bible is concerned about anything that takes the form of godliness but isn't and leads away from God instead of leading to God. And so the growing influence of the Roman Catholic Church in America and in the world today must be noted. Ed Reed came up with some statistics I found very fascinating. Full diplomatic relations with 172 countries and 200, uh, out of 228. That's 76% of the world. And to me, the most dramatic of all is the connection with the United States of America. You and I, many of us in this room, were living when the first ambassador was assigned to the Vatican. I mean, I couldn't believe it then. And that was, you know, relatively long time ago. It's been there for a while. But look how that has expanded and the role that that plays in the world. How about the influence of Pope John Paul II, who appeared a record 16 times on the cover of Time magazine? Time magazine or the, any of these kinds of publications are trying to highlight people that are important in the world or having an impact on the world, an influence in the world, 16 times during his, his life appearing on Time magazine. How about the famous picture of John Paul II? Um, I'll see if this technology is actually going to work for me. Isn't technology great? How many of you remember this picture? Have you seen this one? That's off. It's tremendously dramatic. What it is, it's a Pope uh, funeral, John Paul II's funeral, and the picture there is of John, I mean of George, John, George Bush, I believe that's his wife. This is, that's uh, George, what, W. Bush? And that's his father, George, Bill Clinton, and Candelisa Rice. And I'm not sure who's next to her, but probably somebody important. And I could go through that. But the amazing thing about that is three presidents of the United States on their knees at the Vatican at the death of the Pope. The influence of the papacy, a hundred years ago, this would have been unthinkable, impossible, could never have happened. That's how dramatic the times are in which you and I are living. Pope Benedict came along next, Pope uh, Benedict XVI. One of the things that happened in his situation that is 
Ed Reed uses this word in a fascinating way. He says unprecedented. So if you listen to his presentation, you'll pick this up. He uses it several times throughout. And when he uses the term unprecedented, in other words, it's never happened before. This is all unique. This is all helping us to understand the significance of the time in which you and I are living. President Pope Benedict XVI resigned. You had to die before that, before you got out of being a pope. That was the only way out. In this particular case, he resigned, and he's still alive. Also, he uh, notes, uh, okay, this, uh, sorry, I've got to get back to this. Um, if I could, I'd probably be in a very interesting position today and probably not where I am. I don't know that anybody really knows the reason as to why he did that. He... That would make sense. I'm sorry? It, it's significant, period, but it is unprecedented. It, so it's kind of a combination of both of those. And I need to get back to where I was, so excuse me here for just a moment. So it, it's, it's, just, it's, it's a series of things in relationship to how the Roman Catholic Church is having influence on the world and on the, uh, on the United States in particular, and in the, just how this is all playing together. Now why, the question that kind of goes along with the question that was asked is why did this happen and how does that somehow impact all of this? I don't know the answer to that question. All I know is that the Pope today um, is in a very dramatic situation, coming to him in just a moment. Another thing in relationship to the influence of Roman Catholicism in the United States, 3,143 counties and independent cities, according to the 2000 census in the United States, of those, 1,259 or 40% are predominantly Catholic. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not a Catholic basher. We're trying to understand what the book of Revelation and books of Daniel and Revelation had to say to us and the impact that, that uh, the fulfillment has. And as we begin to see the change taking place in our country, we should not be surprised because the Bible predicted that there would be this tremendous influence. The church's goal is to predominate in every county and city, and that's in itself interesting. Let's switch off to uh, the uh, Supreme Court and the influence the Roman Catholic Church has with them. Just because of the complicated nature of making this change, I'll see if it will work for me. Let me... Just see if it'll come up. Oh, it's going to be nice. No, it's not going to go to the screen. But you can go and look up the Supreme Court today and you Google it right now and you'll see all those people. That's uh, really nice to see them there. But five to nine of the justices in the Supreme Court today are Roman Catholic. Now, it's not just that they are Roman Catholic, Catholics on the Supreme Court, but there are no Protestants on the Supreme Court. Are you with me? Now, this is not the way it used to be. There are no Protestant justices. There are three Jewish justices. The latest uh, justice, Justice Neil Gorsuch, was raised Catholic. Now, some people will say, well, wait a minute, he's, he's a Protestant. 
because he is, says he's Episcopalian. But it's interesting, I did, uh, I googled this a little bit and there's a, an online uh, blog or journal called Quartz and that journal says this, his faith is a bit of a gray area. It also points out in, that, in their article that the Episcopalian Church calls itself Protestant yet Catholic. And the way things are going anyway, it doesn't really make a difference because look what's happening to Protestantism in its relationship to Catholicism, which we will come back to in just a moment. Um, the USA Today in 2009 said Catholics cannot help but interpret the Constitution in light of their own traditions. This was in an article about the makeup of the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, if I were a Seventh-day Adventist and I'm sitting on the Supreme Court, am I going to be able to ignore the fact that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and I know all the things that I know? No, it's not possible. No judge is really able to just simply turn the brain off and ignore the way they had grown up and, the, and all of that influence. And especially when the people on the Supreme Court that you serve with that are making these decisions all come from the same background, or a significant number of them do. The growing influence of the Roman Catholic Church in America is also uh, recognized by Pope Francis who is the first Jesuit pope, first of any pope to be a Jesuit. I looked up again, I had, I've heard so much about the, uh, the oath that Jesuits take. You can go online, you can take a look at it, it's pretty dramatic, it's pretty amazing. It talks about the fact that they have a sworn responsibility to get rid of heretics, and guess who those are? October 31, 2016 had a significant event, and that was something that took place in relationship to Lutherans. Anybody happen to watch that while that happened? I happened to have a few moments, one person did, and uh, my uh, associate and myself went into our conference room at the, at the office and connected using our computer and put it up on the screen while this event on October 31 was taking place when Pope Francis, together with the head of the Lutheran Church, were doing a service together and talking about how they were working on a unity document that they were working towards putting everything basically behind them. Now that, that is the beginning of the process. This year, is leading up to October 31, 2017. And that is the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation. And what are they getting together to say? How grateful we are for the Reformation and how we need to embrace the Reformation and how we all need to be reformers. Is that what Pope Francis is planning to say? No. Yes, please. Real loud, please. They were living in our church that in Russia, that the, uh, the, um, the two religions, the Adventist religion and one more, is not allowed to proselyze or join the Well, let me, let me, let me help you with that and then we'll move on. First of all, 
It was true in relationship to Jehovah's Witnesses, is my understanding. It is not true in relationship to Seventh-day Adventists, and the uh, General Conference came out with a statement in relationship to that. But in Russia, things are changing dramatically. And what might happen in the future, or even here, we don't know. But at this particular point, they haven't experienced that yet. Francis is extremely popular. That's really the bottom line. And this is a significant event. You remember what Je Ellen White said in the Great Controversy, page 588? The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. And under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome in trampling on the rights of conscience. About the time that this has been happening, I happened to come across um, through Facebook a, a section where there are people who are disgruntled, former Seventh-day Adventists. And it was fascinating to me how they were saying, and they were interpreting these events. They said, oh, we know what Seventh-day Adventists are going to say about that. They're going to say that these events are fulfilling prophecy, and yada, 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 yada. Uh-huh. <laughs> that just might be true. That just might be what we ought to be doing and paying attention to. It's, it's so, to me, it's, it's sad. When you see people who really know better making fun of the fulfillment of these prophecies just exactly the way Ellen White said it would be, just as the Bible said it would take place, amazing. And that is the real sad part of that. Well, that's why you and I want to prepare, and that's why we're here. Anglican Bishop Tony Palmer was speaking to a group of charismatic pastors at a Kenneth Copeland Minister's Conference, and he made the statement in, the, in a video that many of you have probably seen. It was also shared by Doug Batchelor and others, and they were talking there about the, uh, the Pope said, let's give each other a spiritual hug Kenneth Copeland was so excited, he asked for an appointment with the Pope, which he was granted uh, not too long after that. And uh, that visit and several others by well-known individuals such as Joel Olstein of the largest U.S. megachurch in the United States in Lakewood, uh, of, of Lakewood in Houston, Texas. Uh, he and a group of 14 other religious and political leaders uh, from America went and met with the Pope on June 5, 2014. Rick Warren, the second largest U.S. Uh, church, pastor 40,000 members. He also was granted a, um, a chance to meet pa Fran Pope Francis in the Vatican in uh, November 18 of 2014. Uh, Francis was quoted... And this is showing the direction and what's happening in relationship to Pope Francis. On July 6, 2014, in the New York Daily News, he said, um, it, it, that's when he quoted it, it was actually said on July 5, and this is what Pope Francis stated. He said that keeping stores open on Sunday is not beneficial to society. He said that the priority should be not economic but human. Maybe it's time to ask ourselves if working on Sundays is true freedom. This is the kind of context that you and I are living today. This is what's happening in terms of the signs of the end of the time in which uh, Jesus said he would come back again. The growing influence of the Roman Catholic Church, one last uh, piece here, 
Pope Francis, on September 24, 2015, addressed a joint session of the U.S. Congress, and this is one of those places where Ed Reed says, unprecedented. Unprecedented. Unbelievable, amazing, going into meeting with the president, meeting with a joint um, session of Congress, going into Philadelphia and meeting in the place where the, where the uh, documents that we hold dear in relationship to freedom are, were signed. Amazing. And he, at the same time, is talking about freedom through one side of his mouth, and when he goes some other place where he knows he can talk about freedom in a different way, he talks about freedom the way the Roman Catholic Church understands freedom, and it's helping us to understand that indeed things are changing on us in this world. Well, let me move quickly on to some other um, end-of-the-world events that we, knowing about, uh, we know about. Tsunamis and earthquakes just in our lifetime, they're happening around us constantly. Uh, four 9.0 earthquakes just in the last four year, 50 years, I'm sorry, and those are significant because the world hasn't seen those kinds of earthquakes of that level, and you and I, many of you have seen all the pictures, came out of Japan, the tsunami that happened uh, uh, centering around uh, Indonesia and that part of the world, and, and 200,000 people die and the world just blinks an eye and moves on. Super Typhoon Haiyan, most powerful storm in history, and that was in 2013, and I heard them talking about a storm last year, and they were talking about that storm being the most powerful on the earth at the time. They can't keep up with their superlatives in helping us to understand, we haven't seen this before, this is what's happening. I don't care what the source of it is, whether it is um, global warming or whatever. The fact of the matter is the Bible said it would be like this. This is what we're seeing, and this is helping us to realize we are living in those last days. What about in the financial world? We all know that the world is living by a financial thread. It would only take two or three major events all at once to begin to bring this world to its knees. You and I, have you been watching over the last few years how country after country after country is going bankrupt? And, and they're, say they're throwing money at it, throwing money at it, throwing money at it, but they can't solve the problem that's causing the problem? And it's people's desire for this and that and the other thing and, and the, the ability for the world to go and manage a situation like a... Uh, uh, like a recession or, or worse uh, that happens in the world. We just don't have the ability to do that. Society does not want to give in to those kinds of things today. It's not willing to do that, and that's why the countries, they rebel. Look what's going on in Venezuela right now. And by the way, we had one of our pastors in Venezuela, and I put it on my list, pray for him while he's in Venezuela because he was going there to help to advance the gospel message, but taking his life in his hands, it's dangerous in Venezuela today because people are rising up against what governments are doing and they can't solve their problems. Yep, that's exactly right. Can't solve the problems is what's happening. I'd love to show you the clock. I wish I had time to do that. Go and Google the debt clock for the United States. Go Have any of you done it? 
Ah, it's scary. It is changing every day by $2.89 billion. If you want to see that clock move, you want to see time fly, that's really moving. As of June 6, 2017, America was 19,934,000, 934 in debt. Today, I can't tell you what it is. I can't keep up that way. Credit card debt in the United States is $801 billion. If it were all to collapse today, where would the world be, including the United States? Government corruption, free, greed, and fraud are rampant. We're talking about immorality. I have another sermon that I've been sharing in the last uh, couple, two or three weeks about people who believe in America that uh, about 88% of people believe today that the morality of American and the America in particular is declining. This was a, a survey done by the American Bible Society. And in that, they were trying to understand what people, number of people are reading the Bible. And so they first of all wanted to see if people thought that morality was declining. They said, yeah, 88% of the people said that morality was declining. Well, yeah, sure, look, government is corrupt, greed and fraud are rampant. The violence and immorality on television, uh, you know, this is not the days of the Leave it to Beaver. By any means. This is crime, there's crime, same-sex marriage, legal in 37 countries, all of the issues that are dealing with this, people that are losing their jobs for taking a stand against this issue, or even talking about it. How about the, the Seventh-day Adventist who was out in Pasadena, California with the health department out there, and they went and found that he had even talked about it in the context of his own church, and they fired him for it. That's what's happening in the world today, and, and uh, that should be getting our attention and raising great concerns. Well, we could keep going on with this. I'll give you a few more things here. There is some good news. There's an upside and a downside to it, but the gospel is advancing. The downside is there are still billions of people who don't know about Jesus, and we must finish this work. God has promised the work will be finished and then he will come. He's also promised that he won't come until the work's finished. So that's what we need to be doing. That needs to be the work that we're about. But here are some positives in all of this. Adventist media is working in a way that I am, it's astounding just to see what's going on. My family lives in Africa. About uh, 10 years ago, a lot of my family's from South Africa. About uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I was visiting in South Africa, and I was amazed. You know, you think of Africa, you know, wild Africa, wild animals, and all that kind of thing. And that's not the right picture of Africa. Africa is very advanced in a lot of places. And I yeah, sure, there's still country places and out, out there, but I was out in a relatively country place. And by the way, better cell phone service out there than I have at my home. And what, what is showing, what are, my, what are my relatives out in this church uh, that was started by one of my relatives, what do they do when they don't have somebody to preach on Sabbath or to have a Vespers on Friday night? They turn on 3ABN. It's all over the world. Hope Channel, 3ABN, Adventist World Radio, um, 
30-minute Bible messages can be downloaded off of Adventist World Radio in just about any language. The, the most common language, the number one language that these messages are downloaded about Jesus and about the Bible and about truth of the Bible is Arabic. That tells us what? That we're reaching the Muslim world in ways that we might not have been able to do in the past. Number two is Chinese. So don't think that we're not having some impact or contact with, with China. I want to switch now from reminding us of the context in which you and I are living to something that's far more important than the context of last day events. You see, the issue is not just knowing. The issue is preparing. When you and I see these things happen, Jesus didn't tell us to get all excited about it and get fretful and worry. As a matter of fact, he said the world would be doing that, but we shouldn't be doing that. Because our trust is not in those events that will be fulfilled, but our trust is in Jesus and preparing for his return. Paul says in Romans 13, verse 11, that we should, knowing the time, prepare for the return of Christ. I want to give a little bit of a panorama of the final crisis. Now, this is moving into the book, Preparation for the Final Crisis, by uh, Fernando Chai. And, and it gives there a panorama in the first chapter of the uh, last day events and the final crisis and the kinds of things that will be coming. I'm going to hit some of those highlights here today and this will lead us to a conclusion of our session for today. First of all, a very critical event is the work of sealing. You and I, as we're preparing for the return of Jesus, want to understand what sealing is all about. The Bible makes it clear that there will be two groups of people at the end of time. There will be those who will accept the mark of the beast and those who have the seal of God. Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 14 make those dynamics very clear. I'm not going to be able to go deeply into that today, but for us to understand that context, what is the sealing? Fernando Chai puts it this way. He says it consists of cleansing from sin and victory over every weakness and defect. Consists of cleansing from sin and victory over every weakness and defect. He makes this statement on page 17 of his book. So if you don't have the book and you pick it up, you'll be able to find it. That's the reference. He wasn't quoting anybody. He was summarizing things that Ellen White have said, so he's putting that together again, page 17. Can you tell me Fernando's last name? Chai, C-H-A-I-J, okay? And I don't know if you say it Chai or Chai, but every time I've heard it pronounced, I've heard it Chai, so that's the way I've been saying it. Okay. So I hope it's right. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for asking. I meant to bring my book in here, but I came prepared to teach a different class. <laughs> I'll have it with me tomorrow. I didn't want to run back and get it. The second is looking in the panorama of events. And one of the challenges you and I have with all of this is trying to say what follows what, what, and then what follows after it. 
That's not really what we want to be talking about in this class. We want to understand how these things interrelate with each other because they help us to understand the work of preparation that God wants to do in our lives. The sealing is helping us to understand that this is an ongoing event for us. The sealing's going on right now. The sealing for a person who walks out of here and is hit by a bus, the sealing's over. It's done for them. You and I are in the sealing time right now. But you and I are also in the sealing time for those who are preparing to meet Jesus when he comes and be translated and see him when he comes. The sealing is going on now. The time you and I need to be preparing is not tomorrow, it's today. Following the sealing or on the heels of the sealing or in cooperation with the sealing, however the best way to put that is, is the latter rain. That's why I'm telling you that the presentations that Ron Duffield is doing, the return of the latter rain, did you notice the wording? The what? The return of the latter rain is critical to you and I. You and I need to understand what this is all about and what, uh, what God wants to do in our lives. We know that the latter rain is not going to be given to us except as we plead for it in prayer, individually as well as corporately. Out of the, loud, out of the latter rain comes the loud cry, the time of the finishing of the work of God. We're going to hit that here in just a moment, a little bit more in depth. The shaking. What is that about? What does it mean? I'll share some things with you on the screen here in just a moment. And then there's the early time of trouble before probation closes and uh, what the world's events will be like and the conditions in the church. So let's look at the latter rain a little bit more closely and identify some uh, details about that. The purpose of the latter rain is to enable God's people to complete the finished work. Again, this is material that you will find in the first uh, introductory chapter to Fernando uh, Chai's book. So I want you to know it's there. You can find that because I did. this is some material that I uh, didn't put in the outline. Enables God's people to complete the unfinished work. There's two parts to that unfinished work. The most critical unfinished work is in your heart and mind. When God is doing that work in us, then through us, he's able to do the work of reaching the world, and he wants to finish that work and get that work done so that he can come. There is a prerequisite, not a prerequisite, whatever it is on the screen, and that is the great majority of church members must consecrate themselves completely to God, denying self, repudiating sin, seeking the Lord with humility. It really is time, folks, for us to ask, what's happening in my church? What's happening in my life? Is this what we're experiencing in our church? Are, are we experiencing the, the great majority of the members consecrating themselves completely to God? Or are our churches filled with people who are squabbling back and forth over this and that and the other thing? And maybe it's as mundane and as unimportant and as non-eternal as the carpeting color of the church and people leaving the church because they didn't get their way on this or getting their way on that. The work of the latter rain is not to change us instantly. 
That's the work of God now and the Spirit working in our hearts and lives. But the final or the completing of that work is done through the latter rain. But if we're waiting, Ellen White makes it clear, we'll be talking about this later, but Ellen White makes it clear that we can't sit around waiting for the latter rain to, uh, to experience what God wants us to experience. That's not what we must be doing. And we'll talk more about that later. The loud cry message follows shortly with, uh, on the heels of the pouring out of the Spirit of God, and it lightens the earth with the glory of God. That message goes to the world, and the world stands up and takes notice, not of us, but of the message that Jesus is coming again, of the message that God's law is really true, that the Seventh-day Sabbath is indeed the Sabbath, and that this whole issue that, uh, that is talked about in the Bible and talked about clearly, and especially in the Protestant world that's been denying this for so long, people will begin to understand that this really is the issue at the end of time. A special process of reform and sanctification is taking a place, a place, and it affects the great majority of the members of God's church. But while that's happening, there's also the shaking. And the shaking time is the time in which some of God's people will apostatize. This is going to be a challenging time. Yeah, that's exactly it. But within the Adventist church, there's a real struggle going on right now. And the truth is, it's a struggle over the Word of God. Are we going to understand the Word of God simply the way it speaks? Understanding the basic hermeneutic principles that are there? Or are we going to find our own ways of interpreting the Bible? We will look at this more in depth, but we know that part of this is that Adventists will leave the church because they do not accept the divine call to conversion and keep complete consecration. And most critically, they reject the message of Christ to the Laodicean church, which is one of repentance and reform. If you go and listen to Ron Duffield and the message that he shares in his class, you'll find that one of the, assuming that he shares some of the things that he shared in his book, he makes it abundantly clear that the Laodicean message was the message that God was sharing with his people in the late 1800s and that God's people were struggling to understand and to implement and that's the beginning of the latter rain and that's why we're not done yet. That message is still valid. It still has to finish its work. That work must be done. That reform and repentance must take place. That is the preparation work that Jesus is wanting to do in our lives. He's reaching out to us. He's knocking at our door and he's saying, please let me in. Let me do the work that I want to be able to do if you will let me do it. That will cause a shaking because people will reject that message. They will turn from that message and say, that's too much. I, I don't see it that way. I can't see it going that direction. It, it, it's taking place now. Um, it, within our church, we're, I just saw a couple leave our church that have been probably third generation Adventists for the, and, and joined the sister family church. Is it happening today? Is it, the, Is it happening today? 
If it's not happening right now, I'll be very surprised. But I think we're only seeing the surface parts of that, and we will see the depths of that. The Bible, I mean, Ellen White makes it abundantly clear that bright lights will go out. And we're, we've seen some of those. People who have been bright lights say, turn and become Catholics, Episcopalian, whatever. Turn their back on truth for any message that's out there and in and, and, and ways that just doesn't make sense to my simple mind. But, yeah. Did you just say that Jesus wants us to open the door of our heart and let him He can do the work through us? In us. And through us. I think that's a simple way to put it. He wants to deal with what's here so he can use us to do what's out there that needs to be done. Well, um, I feel totally inadequate to this world that we have right now. So I, I feel like, you know, uh, I'm too old enough to stop the way he's tricked to take this challenge on. But if Jesus says he will do it through me, Precisely. Amen, sister. Preach the message. This message is a message of righteousness by faith. That is the message that was being preached in the early 1800s, I mean late 1800s, and it was generated by this work here. I know there's a lot of discussion and argument about this angle and that angle of it, and that's really not what I'm trying to get into. And then, and Ron Duffield says that's not what he's about either. All he wants us to do is be reminded of the history and the clear teaching of the Bible and the and the spirit of prophecy. That's what you and I need, and we're going to work on that here. All right, one more comment, then we're going to wind this down. Do you think of, of a lot of the apostasies because of the rejection of this white as a God? All combined together. Is it part of the rejection of Ellen White? Yes, and it's the rejection of Scripture as well. We're seeing all of that playing into this particular situation. So yes, it is indeed a, uh, a challenge in relationship to that. After this work begins to advance forward in a mighty way, the very fact that the gospel message, the three angels' messages are being sent out to the world in such a tremendous fashion, and the world is beginning to, to see what's really going on, that leads to the early time of trouble, and there are two times of trouble according to what we understand from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. The early time of trouble takes place before probation closes, and the conditions in the world sound somewhat familiar. Confusion and war, political strife and economic and social distress, disintegration of the family, fear and worry will increase. Have I been hearing about that lately? But this time of trouble will increase in intensity. It's not the kind of trouble that you and I see. Now, if you were living in Mosul, you'd understand this, right? If you were living in some places in the world like Syria, you'd understand what that means. If you were a Christian and a Seventh-day Adventist Christian trying to live in those places where Christians are being beheaded, you'd understand what this means. But we live over here thinking that these kinds of things are never going to come to us. But the Bible makes it clear, and the spirit of prophecy makes it clear, there comes a time when in this early time of trouble that this spills over into all the world in a tremendous way because 
because the politicians have no way to control what's going on. They have no ability to be able to deal what's taking place. And that, and within the church, it's going to be tremendously tempestuous times because what we saw back here with the shaking is now done its work and all of the fact that these things interrelate with each other is just the truth and reality. Um, let me go to the uh, next slide here. Begins uh, this all, the early time of trouble, begins before the close of probation, but it leads into the final time of trouble that you've heard so much about. The one that's spoken of in Revelation, I mean in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And that moves us past the close of probation. This is the time in which we begin to see the second beast of Revelation 13 fulfilling the purposes that God has outlined in Revelation chapter 13. This is when the second beast, the United States, begins to speak as a dragon, begins to oblige all to worship the first beast, which is Rome, begins to work miracles through spiritism and, and all. I, I don't always like the word spiritualism because there's really nothing spiritual about it on a Christian, in a Christian sense, but it is the term that Ellen White uses. She uses it frequently because it was used in relationship to the special working of Satan and the kinds of things that he does. And, and today, look, I mean, I didn't even talk about this. I just highlighted what's happening on television but the occult is all over television. It's all over the books that our kids are reading. It's all over this. The, the part that scares me the most is that I, as the ministerial director, get reports back from our pastors who will stand up and preach a sermon on Sabbath morning in their church about the dangers of Harry Potter and will have parents complaining to them and bickering about all of that when all the pastor's trying to do is warn them about Satan's deceptions. The Lord help us in this situation when our people are so blind to what's going on around us. We must be students of the Word of God. We must understand what God has told us is going to happen at the end of time. We must realize that these deceptions that Satan said, that the Bible said Satan would bring are here now. It's a dangerous world out there. It's not one you and I can, can mix in and play around in anymore. So when those miracles begin to show up, you know there was a day when you look back at the time of Jesus, they, the Pharisees claimed that Jesus was doing his miracles because he had a demon in him. It was almost, almost easy in those days when those miracles were taking place, when one man, the blind man that Jesus healed, was being quizzed by the, by the, by the Pharisees, and they kept saying, you know, how could he do this? And, and he couldn't be from God and all that. And, he, and the, he, the man responded and said, how could this man do this if he's not from God? But what is it going to be like in our day when Satan does those kinds of things and he's not from God? You and I will not be able to trust our senses. The Bible has made that abundantly clear. He's full of all kinds of challenges for us. But along comes the commands on all the earth to make an image to the beast. And when that image is the federation of the Protestant churches uniting together, and we are seeing it happen before our eyes. October 31 
2017 is only taking the next step from October 31, 2016, and this federation is taking place right in front of us. And where is it going to? The federation is, the Protestant churches are going to Vatican, going to the Vatican, going to the Vatican. That's the uniting factor in here. And it's no coincidence also that the Muslim leaders are going to the Vatican. It's no coincidence that the Jewish leaders are going to the Vatican. They're all going to the Vatican. Because Revelation 13 said it would be like that. In the last day events. Yeah, that's right, and that's where we need to be. The final thing that will be happening here is the enforcement of the mark of the beast. This is the time and when God's Sabbath versus Papal Sunday will become a reality, and everyone in the world will know that this is the issue. The Lord will do that. It's part of that latter rain experience. It's part of that loud cry experience where God is able to get the word out to everyone, and persecution will result. After the close of probation, during Jacob's time of trouble, we'll talk more about this, is when the death penalty comes. But it's also the time on the other side of the close of probation when God's people are protected. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Psalm 91 should be a, 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 a psalm in our hearts that helps us to understand the context. Along here comes the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet spoken of in Revelation 16. We'll talk more about that. Armageddon under the sixth plague. And finally, the deliverance at the height of persecution. We're told that it will be at midnight. This time of trouble. It begins with the close of probation. It's worldwide. But God's people are protected during that time. You and I are not just wanting to know when the events are going to take place, but you and I want to know how to be prepared for that to happen. In Fernando uh, Chai's book is this chart. You want to get a little bit of an idea of the flow of events and the things that are happening, the things we've been talking about here a little bit and how they relate to that process. That chart is in that book. We're not going to take any time with that. We'll have time to come back to that later. But here's the good news. Jesus is coming again. He will be back soon. While it's time for us to end our class, let me tell you, just remind you what we're going to be doing tomorrow. I'm going to see what I can do. I can't promise, but I'm going to see what I can do about the possibility of changing classes, classrooms. We've already had one particular setup for that. It presents a bit of a challenge for me because all my classes are here, and I'm videotaping those classes. But I also wanted to be comfortable and do it, so I'll see what I can do. But my best suggestion is come early, and we'll do what we can. I can't make a promise with that. I will give you our next section section tomorrow and the handouts there. Keep Bring your notebook back with you, please, because that folder will be a place for you to keep that information together. And uh, God bless you. Any questions about process here? I need to have a prayer and conclude, and conclude. All right, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us today. More importantly, thank you for your word that tells us what today is all about and also tells us that what's important is not what's going on, but what needs to be taking place in our hearts. So Lord, we ask that you will be with us as we leave our class today. And in the days ahead, we pray that you will guide us as we seek to prepare 
for the return of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.